Chapters 31 through 40 of the Anchoridian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Anchoridian by Epictetus. Translated by Percy Matheson. Chapter 31. For piety towards the gods, know that the most important thing is this, to have right opinions about them, that they exist, and that they govern the universe well and justly, and to have set yourself to obey them, and to give way to all that happens, following events with a free will, in the belief that they are fulfilled by the highest mind. For thus you will never blame the gods, nor accuse them of neglecting you. But this you cannot achieve, unless you apply your conception of good and evil to those things only which are in our power, and not to those which are out of our power. For if you apply your notion of good or evil to the latter, then, as soon as you fail to get what you will to get, or fail to avoid what you will to avoid, you will be bound to blame and hate those you hold responsible. For every living creature has a natural tendency to avoid and shun what seems harmful and all that causes it, and to pursue and admire what is helpful and all that causes it. It is not possible, then, for one who thinks he is harmed to take pleasure in what he thinks is the author of the harm, any more than to take pleasure in the harm itself. That is why a father is reviled by his son, when he does not give his son a share of what the son regards as good things. Thus Polynices and Eteocles were set at enmity with one another by thinking that a king's throne was a good thing. That is why the farmer, and the sailor, and the merchant, and those who lose wife or children revile the gods. For men's religion is bound up with their interest. Therefore, he who makes it his concern rightly to direct his will to get and his will to avoid is thereby making piety his concern. But it is proper on each occasion to make libation and sacrifice and to offer firstfruits according to the custom of our fathers, with purity and not in slovenly or careless fashion, without meanness and without extravagance. Chapter 32 When you make use of prophecy, remember that while you know not what the issue will be, but are come to learn it from the prophet, you do know before you come what manner of thing it is, if you are really a philosopher. For if the event is not in our control, it cannot be either good or evil. Therefore, do not bring with you to the prophet the will to get or the will to avoid, and do not approach him with trembling, but with your mind made up, that the whole issue is indifferent and does not affect you, and that, wherever it be, it will be in your power to make good use of it and no one shall hinder this. With confidence, then, approach the gods as counselors, and further, when the counsel is given you, remember whose counsel it is, and whom you will be disregarding if you disobey, and consult the oracle, as Socrates thought men should, only when the whole question turns upon the issue of events, and neither reason nor any art of man provides opportunities for discovering what lies before you. Therefore, when it is your duty to risk your life with friend or country, do not ask the oracle whether you should risk your life. For if the prophet warns you that the sacrifice is unfavorable, though it is plain that this means death or exile or injury to some part of your body, yet reason requires that even at this cost you must stand by your friend and share your country's danger. Wherefore, pay heed to the greater prophet, Pythian Apollo, who cast out of his temple the man who did not help his friend when he was being killed. Chapter 33 Lay down for yourself from the first a definite stamp and style of conduct, which you will maintain when you are alone, 
and also in the society of men. Be silent for the most part, or, if you speak, say only what is necessary and in a few words. Talk but rarely, if occasion calls you, but do not talk of ordinary things, of gladiators, or horse races, or athletes, or of meats or drinks, these are topics that arise everywhere, but above all, do not talk about men in blame, or compliments, or comparison. If you can, turn the conversation of your company by your talk to some fitting subject, but if you should chance to be isolated among strangers, be silent. Do not laugh much, nor at many things, nor without restraint. Refuse to take oaths, altogether if that be possible, but if not, as far as circumstances allow. Refuse the entertainments of strangers and the vulgar. But if occasion arise to accept them, then strain every nerve to avoid lapsing into the state of the vulgar. For know that, if your comrade have a stain on him, he that associates with him must needs share the stain, even though he be clean in himself. For your body, take just so much as your bare need requires, such as food, drink, clothing, house, servants, but cut down all that tends to luxury and outward show. Avoid impurity to the utmost of your power before marriage, and if you indulge your passion, let it be done lawfully. But do not be offensive or censorious to those who indulge it, and do not be always bringing up your own chastity. If someone tells you that so-and-so speaks ill of you, do not defend yourself against what he says, but answer, he did not know my other faults, or he would not have mentioned these alone. It is not necessary for the most part to go to the games, but if you should have occasion to go, show that your first concern is for yourself. That is, wish that only to happen which does happen, and him only to win who does win, for so you will suffer no hindrance. But refrain entirely from applause, or ridicule, or prolonged excitement. And when you go away, do not talk much of what happened there, except so far as it tends to your improvement. For to talk about it implies that the spectacle excited your wonder. Do not go lightly or casually to hear lectures, but if you do go, maintain your gravity and dignity, and do not make yourself offensive. When you are going to meet anyone, and particularly some man of reputed eminence, set before your mind the thought, what would Socrates or Zeno have done? And you will not fail to make proper use of the occasion. When you go to visit some great man, prepare your mind by thinking that you will not find him in, that you will be shut out, that the doors will be slammed in your face, that he will pay no heed to you. And if in spite of all this you find it fitting for you to go, go and bear what happens, and never say to yourself, it was not worth all this, for that shows a vulgar mind, and one at odds with outward things. In your conversation, avoid frequent and disproportionate mention of your own doings or adventures, for other people do not take the same pleasure in hearing what has happened to you as you take in recounting your adventures. Avoid raising men's laughter, for it is a habit that easily slips into vulgarity, and it may well suffice to lessen your neighbor's respect. It is dangerous, too, to lapse into foul language. When anything of the kind occurs, rebuke the offender, if the occasion allow, and if not, make it plain to him by your silence, or a blush or a frown, that you are angry at his words. Chapter 34 When you imagine some pleasure, beware that it does not carry you away like other imaginations. Wait a while, and give yourself pause. 
Next, remember two things. How long you will enjoy the pleasure, and also how long you will afterwards repent and revile yourself. And set on the other side the joy and self-satisfaction you will feel if you refrain. And if the moment seems come to realize it, take heed that you be not overcome by the winning sweetness and attraction of it. Set in the other scale the thought how much better is the consciousness of having vanquished it. Chapter 35 When you do a thing because you have determined that it ought to be done, never avoid being seen doing it, even if the opinion of the multitude is going to condemn you. For if your action is wrong, then avoid doing it altogether. But if it is right, why do you fear those who will rebuke you wrongly? Chapter 36 The phrases, it is day, and it is night, mean a great deal if taken separately, but have no meaning if combined. In the same way, to choose the larger portion at a banquet may be worthwhile for your body, but if you want to maintain social decencies, it is worthless. Therefore, when you are at meat with another, remember not only to consider the value of what is set before you for the body, but also to maintain your self-respect before your host. Chapter 37 If you try to act a part beyond your powers, you not only disgrace yourself in it, but you neglect the part which you could have filled with success. Chapter 38 As in walking you take care not to tread on a nail or to twist your foot, so take care that you do not harm your governing principle. And if we guard this in everything we do, we shall set to work more securely. Chapter 39 Every man's body is a measure for his property, as the foot is the measure for his shoe. If you stick to this limit, you will keep the right measure. If you go beyond it, you are bound to be carried away down a precipice in the end, just as with the shoe, if once you go beyond the foot, your shoe puts on gilding and soon purple and embroidery. For when once you go beyond the measure, there is no limit. Chapter 40 Women from fourteen years upwards are called madam by men. Wherefore, when they see that the only advantage they have got is to be marriageable, they begin to make themselves smart and to set all their hopes on this. We must take pains then to make them understand that they are really honored for nothing but a modest and decorous life. End of chapters 31 through 40, recorded by John Peterson.